to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I will. Hi, Pastor. How are you tonight? Good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Thank you. And uh, welcome to everyone listening to uh, To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. As we just said, my name is William Green, and I'm here with Pastor Brian King, as always. And uh, tonight, our focus is on Christmas. So uh, we're a few days early. We do these every Wednesday, so we didn't want to miss it. Uh, we we uh, looked at the fourth week of Advent, Advent last week. And so uh, now uh, our focus is going to be on Christmas. So you were trying to make a, what is it, a portmanteau? Advent went. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yes, that's Yeah, that good. was intentional. <laughs> yeah, it was, I know. Uh, as intentional as you wearing a Christmas sweater. Yes. Very good. Yes. Very good. Uh, yeah, the viewers on the podcast can't see this, but I am wearing a, a Christmas sweater, sweater for our live broadcast online. That's good. It's a wonderful, yep. wonderful, wonderful time of the year. It The whole world celebrates. It is. It's one of the few days in Florida I can wear this. It's our coldest night of the season so far, and so it's actually appropriate to be wearing this tonight here. So, Very good. Very good. We're going to get indeed. down to like minus 15 or something tonight. So, Oh, my goodness. I should uh, wear a sweater. Now that it's centigrade, but it still makes it around, what, three or three degrees Fahrenheit? Yeah, that's that's pretty cold. When I say it's the coldest night of the year so far here in Florida, uh, it's forty five degrees Fahrenheit, and so what's that? Uh, six or seven degrees? Seven, yeah, seven or so. Yeah, yeah so yeah, not too bad still. Yeah, I'd see people out walking in shorts if it were that temperature here. <laughs> exactly. They do. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah. Good. Yep. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. We're talking. It about doesn't. The incredible, the incredible, most wonderful event the world has ever seen. God takes on human flesh, becomes one of us to be our precious Savior. That's right. That's right. And so, uh, as usual, we have a few different readings tonight. Um, we're first going to look at uh, the Nativity narrative, mostly from Luke, but also a little bit from Matthew as well. Yeah. And then uh, we have a few other readings from uh, John Chrysostom and uh, Leo I of Rome, a little bit later on. Um, and, and one from a more modern person, Olaf Hartmann. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And he, he lived from 1906 to 1982, and he was a Swedish hymn writer and author. But he writes, he, we're taking something from the devotional books for all the saints, and he has a very nice section in there uh, that uh, that's appropriate uh, to think about when we think about Joseph. Indeed. It's a very liturgically rich season. There's a lot going on. Uh, we were talking in our preparation for tonight. Um, we are going to take the week off next week, uh, enjoy Christmas season with our families. Um, however, there's a lot going on next week. Uh, you know, we have Christmas Day, of course, on the 25th. And then there are several feast days that follow that, uh, that each are very significant. We have the Feast of St. Stephen on the 26th. Yeah. which uh, you might have heard in a popular Christmas song. Uh, Good King uh, Wenceslas right, mentions uh, the, yes. the Feast of St. Stephen. He looked out on the Feast of Stephen, uh, and the snow lay round about cool and crisp and even. Yes. Yes, and that is properly a, a Christmas song because um, you know we don't often think this way in our modern time, but Christmas technically starts with 
the 25th, well, technically on the 24th, right? Uh, uh, at midnight. Um, a lot of people still go to, to church or midnight mass or a vigil something uh, midnight on, on Christmas Eve. And us Lutherans will probably go to a Christmas Eve service celebrating the birth of Christ as well. Uh, but Christmas goes all the way till January 6th uh, when Epiphany begins. And so all these days following Christmas, and including all these feasts that I just mentioned, uh, St. Stephen, and then we have Feast of uh, John the Apostle, right? And, yeah. um, and then uh, the Holy Innocents, which were the ones, uh, the children that were killed as Herod was searching uh, and, and hoping to kill the, the Christ child. Yeah. And so a lot going on, uh, and all of these are falling within the broader season of Christmas. Yes, and there's one rather important festival or celebration. It's uh, my anniversary on the 29th, so of course we're going to take that evening off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. I like I like being married. <laughs> yeah. Likewise. Yeah. 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 It's a good thing. So <laughs> indeed. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into our first gospel reading, which begins with Luke chapter one, uh, verses 26 through 38. Correct. So this is the annunciation, right? Yeah. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Very good. So um, traditionally, most readings uh, for Christmas Day especially won't start quite this early in the narrative. Um Typically, uh, I think we, we usually read like Luke 2 or something like that on, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. However, um, something we don't often think about, this is actually when the incarnation began, right? Jesus was born uh, on Christmas Day, but, um, you know, he was still in Mary's womb uh, before that. Right. And, and that, that's important. That's important mm-hmm. when things start, how God, you know, overshadows her and... and um then the baby's there and going to grow like a normal baby, like Mm -hmm. a normal baby. Mm -hmm. So in some sense, we still have God with us even before Christmas, uh, these nine months leading up to Jesus' birth, which is interesting thing to think about something we don't often consider. No. And yeah, he's there in Mary's womb, the the son of God, right? The God, the God man is there. Right. And just one interesting, uh, you know, kind of tidbit about the church calendar. Um, we typically celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation exactly nine months before 
Christmas. So that'd be uh, March 25th. And so um, we'll probably reference that uh, also in March, but um, it's, it's, I, I like that the people who put together the church calendar had that in consideration. It's an appropriate timing doing it exactly nine months before Christmas kind of gives you a taste of what to look forward to in the Christmas season. Yeah, it's good. It's very good. The beginnings. Indeed. And um, let's talk a bit about this uh, betrothal or engagement, oh, okay. uh, this, this situation, because um, this is something that I know has confused me in the past and friends as well. Uh, what Mary and Joseph's situation uh, was during this time. I've heard some people refer to Mary as Joseph's wife during this time. Uh, I've heard other people say they're more or less engaged or something in between. Can you give us uh, some clarity about that? Right. So, you know, it's a word we don't really use much in English anymore. And here in verse 26 and 27, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, etc. So to a virgin betrothed. So what the easiest way to translate that would be to say that they're engaged, except when we use that term in, in our modern language, that's different than the way, than this betrothal, this engagement in, in Jesus' day. The engagement was public and promises were made publicly. And it was most, most engagements today, they're made privately at a dinner mm-hmm. or a romantic spot or something. Someone, you know, you, you pick a spot where you can have a little romantic evening and, and you make this proposal. Mm-hmm. But this, this proposal was done publicly. And in a way, it's, hate to use the term legally binding, but it was socially binding and in some respects then therefore legally binding. But what's fascinating is that then the, the marriage um, didn't have to be public and there were no vows or promises or any of that sort made publicly. Hmm. So it's kind of backwards from the way we do things now. We have a private engagement and then a very public wedding with vows and legal documents signed and all that. But for them, the the betrothal, the engagement was the public pronouncement and promises were made. And then later, when the groom would take the bride to his house, that was when the marriage feast happened and all of that. And and the um, so in a way, it's kind of weird. You can say, yeah, she's his wife, but they're not living together yet. And in this case, when when he does take her as his wife into his home, they don't, what we would call today, consummate the marriage. They're not intimate with one another. And, and the Bible says until after Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. And we'll look at that section in a minute. So it's a little bit backwards. So in, in many ways, the betrothal was the equivalent of what we would consider to be a marriage, even though at that point, the, the bride would not go live with the groom. I see. So that certainly would account for some of the confusion then. So it's not like a modern engagement that can be easily broken off without... No too much public scrutiny. No, it was not, not at all, not at all. So that's, you will get into this in the readings. One of the reasons why Joseph, when, you know, they find out that Mary's pregnant, he wants to treat her uh, respectfully. And he's like, oh no, this isn't right. Because I, because at that point he hadn't taken her into his home. So she shouldn't be pregnant. Right. Okay. The taking, taking her home, that was, 
that was publicly done. There just weren't promises made. And that's when the, what they call the gamus, the wedding feast would have taken place when he goes to take her into his home. Hmm. And that had not yet happened. So she should not yet be pregnant. Okay. All right. So that's a really helpful distinction then. Hopefully yeah, should in the, should in the moral sense. Okay. Right. Yeah. But, you know, that would be frowned upon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, right. So the big point, Mary's being pregnant now would be a scandal to yep. outside observers. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Very good. Um, Pastor, if you don't mind, can we look at the section uh, where the angel is speaking directly to Mary and take a look at. Oh, sorry. What the... Back in Perfect. this one. Um, in verse 28. Yes, exactly. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Yes, exactly. So uh, if we have uh, any of our Catholic brothers or sisters listening, that will be uh, very familiar. And um, this phrase has kind of taken on uh, a life of its own in the church, right? In, in the rosary and, um, you know, some of the prayers that uh, uh, people pray. Um, but it's interesting. I just want to take a look at this because blessed are you among women. Um, we don't see this in every version of the text is that yeah you don't it um it's not it's not in all the manuscripts now what we're looking at now is the new king james version which relies on what we call without getting too technical it relies on what we call the textus receptus Mm -hmm. which is pretty much just the text that the christian people have had for a very long time there's a whole lot of manuscript study done where it looks at this um different manuscripts from different times and places and things like that it's interesting that as more textual work is done, it's kind of like we're inching back to be pretty much in agreement with the Textus Receptus anyway. But Mm. there are a few differences and none of them are um, create any questions in doctrine and things like that. And nor does this one here. You can, you can have these words or not have these words and it doesn't change what is, what is said in verse 28, or it doesn't change the message of rejoice highly favored one. The Lord is with you. So that's, as good as it gets. And the blessed are you among women, whether you include that in your, in your textual canon to be technical or not, it doesn't change the fact that Mary is, oh my goodness, she has been so blessed and honored to be favored by God to bear the son of God. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Um, right. So in our tradition, we still see Mary as um, a very important figure in you know, biblical history. And um, we still give her the honor due to her, right? That the angel, um, you know, gives her here. Uh, yeah, she, there's just like a, you know, we're kind of trying to find the middle way between two extremes in that regard. Right. I think we have to go back to when she said, you know, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Right. That she too needed a savior and she too rejoiced in Jesus the way we rejoice in Jesus. And we can think about those disciples of Jesus who got to share meals with him and how, what a special blessing that was for them. But this is like that, but even more so in that she got to be uh, his mom. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a very, a very personal, familial, wonderful relationship that the two of them had and that you can't change that. and, And we shouldn't minimize it out of reaction to people making more of it than what we think it is. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and and she's kind of unique in humanity in that way because um, you know she's the biological mother of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, in some ways we can talk about Joseph being his father, but 
Um, we, I think more commonly referred to Joseph as the protector of Jesus, right? And not the father, because that kind of confuses things because of course we have the father in the Godhead and the Trinity. Right. And so you can sort of say he's kind of like a stepdad to use modern language. Yeah. Uh, his adoptive father, something like that. Uh, he gets no biology from Joseph. Uh, he does get biology from Mary. Right. And that's, that's kind of fascinating. It Joseph is. has an incredible role to play. Yeah, we do talk about him being the the protector, the worker, things like that. And uh, we'll have a, a reading that touches on that from Olaf Hartman, as I mentioned. Uh, he had a very, very special role as well. It's it's sad that we don't have much recorded about him in the Bible. The last, I guess, example is when they're searching for the boy Jesus who's in the temple. Uh, and then he, we, we assume, I think rightly, that he, he died younger before Jesus' ministry began. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, well, since we started talking about Joseph, let's go ahead and look at that narrative uh, from Matthew. Right. So in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And there we get a little completion of the story of this this marriage betrothal and then the gamus, the wedding feast. So he does, um, they're engaged, and now he does take to him his wife, takes her into his house under his protection, but does not know her. And this is the Bible's polite way of saying, did not was not intimate with her. Right. Until right. she had brought forth her firstborn son. Right. Okay. Exactly. And so um, from both of these narratives, I think one of the main things we can take away is um, both Mary and Joseph's obedience to what the angel had said. And uh, they both accept these the, the angel's words on faith and uh, act accordingly. They do. They're, they're both faithful people. That's why God chose him for this wonderful privilege of raising his son. Right. And um, I think throughout the history of the church, we've focused more on Mary's role in that than Joseph's. And that's one of the reasons we've selected uh, tonight's reading from For All the Saints that you mentioned earlier um, from Olaf Hartman. This is a really great reading uh, in the sense that it kind of gives you a different perspective on Joseph's role in uh, being the protector, not only of Mary, but of um, Jesus as well. And so I'll go ahead and read that if you don't mind, Pastor. No, please. Well, thank you. So again, this is from uh, Olaf Hartman. This is the uh, reading designated for Christmas Eve and for all the saints uh, this year. He says, do not fear to take Mary, your wife. How can a man have God in the house without being afraid? Just think of lying awake at night, 
hearing your wife breathe, and knowing that the world's heart is beating in her womb. The angel was fearsome, but the presence of him who lay under Mary's heart, the angels covered their eyes. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. It is this nearness which we have made into a mere detail in our Christmas observance, for his nearness in the gospel is not a pretty picture. It is a nearness equally as earthy and manifest in Bethlehem or Nazareth. A word on our lips, bread on our table, wine in our flasks. But the angels do not dare look upon him. The worlds quake at his name, Emmanuel. What would happen if all those for whom he is a beautiful legend, a sentimental condiment at Christmas, discovered his true identity? Our text contains a mystery which elicits both a smile and some fear. The Almighty desired Joseph's protection. He lit the stars over Joseph's house, but Joseph had to provide him with a refuge in that house. From this distant God came angels enough to cause Herod's entire army to grow faint. Yet they say that, Joseph's, that Joseph must flee to Egypt for safety, for the government is out to get the child who is David's son. We know little about Joseph's thought. We know him best by what he did. The Joseph of the Bible took Mary along first of all to Bethlehem, then to Egypt, and from Egypt back to Israel. Could even a refugee family in our time make such a wilderness journey without an excess of strength and determination? So the texts for today refer not only to Mary, the mother, the church. They also speak of Joseph, the descendant of a king, a man of skillful hands, of firm will, of indomitable powers, a guide through unknown lands. The fact that God is with us is not, therefore, just a salubrious concept for those who think we are dealing here with a pretty idea or a childish dream. It summons us to the defense of the gospel. Yeah, it's good. Oh, it's so good. Put a little weight into Joseph's role. And yet we don't hear a lot about him. You know, we yeah. get this Mary's blessed. She's the favored one. The, the word for grace is in there, all that stuff. And we do think about her more than Joseph, who, mm-hmm. although not Jesus' biological dad, obviously, but was still instrumental in protecting and taking him down to Egypt, fleeing as the as the people would have been hunting for him, and then bringing him back and raising him and teaching him his trade and all that stuff that dads do. Yeah, he would have done. Yeah, and I, I love the picture that Olaf Hartman paints here of Joseph lying in bed. Uh, next to Mary with <laughs> God, you know, right, right there with you amongst, uh, you know, in Mary's womb. Yeah. In your wife's and, uh, womb. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an amazing picture. And you, you can't help but wonder what Joseph must've been thinking at that time. It is somewhat terrifying, not only the responsibility that you have, uh, but just the fact that you're so near to someone so important, it would just be uh uh, fascinating, almost crippling, right? Yeah, and it, it's, you know, um, a woman bearing a child is a phenomenal thing. You know, God knits that baby together in the mother's womb to see life continuing to, you know, all those wonderful things about children and the continuation of the human race and the fact that God blesses us to make us partners in his ongoing work of creation as we have children. Mm-hmm. But then in this case, um, it's a, it's a different kind of pregnancy, mm-hmm. and yeah, it would have, it would be, I guess, the epitome of awe-inspiring and yeah, and strange, right? 
Yeah. Right. And I love the fact that he brought in, you know, the angel said not to be afraid, but the angels don't dare look at the person <laughs> right yeah. that uh, is in their midst. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it just puts a whole new spin on uh, that time in their life. And uh, it's a really good reading for doing it is. that. It gives us it some is. great insight into what that must have been like. To think about Mary and Joseph. Indeed. 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 Okay. All right. Uh, should we go into the main Christmas narrative now uh, in Luke? We sure indeed can. Christ is born. So we're going to split this up into two sections. We'll do verses one to seven and talk about that a bit and then um, transition to the shepherds in verse eight. Sounds good. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Great. Um, all right. So just some kind of contextual details here. Uh, if we go back up to verse one, um, there's been some controversy of whether or not Luke more or less got the, the timing of Christ's birth right in this narrative. Uh, did you want to talk a bit about that pastor? And- yeah. So, so what happened, it seems as though there was a little bit of delay in the census taking place in, in the Holy land. And who knows why? Um, they they were probably doing it differently than other people. Now we talk about this census being the Roman Empire. That's huge. It's mm-hmm. to them, it's the whole world, right? And they talk about it that way. So it it didn't happen overnight. They didn't have computers. They didn't have communications that we have. They didn't have any of that. This literally had to be done by people being sent, um, and then assignments being made and all that. So it took a little while to hammer it out in the Holy Land. So it's a little bit later than might have happened in other places. Uh, apparently in Egypt, they also did it this way where people went to their their ancestral home. So I don't know. I was born in Philadelphia. Would that mean that I would have to go back to Philadelphia? But then I spent a lot of my life in Michigan. So mm-hmm. would I have to go back? I mean, it, it's, it's a little confusing for us. How do they know? Well, they knew where their family line was. Mm-hmm. And so both Mary and Joseph needed to go back. They were both of that line of David. They go back to Bethlehem. And which is in Judah, they were in Galilee, in Nazareth. So they go down to their ancestral home. So this doesn't happen overnight. Um, Quirinius was governing Syria. He might not necessarily have been the actual governor in place, but it says he was governing, meaning he was doing the work of governing. Mm -hmm. And that um, this work's going on under him and others. So no, Luke seems to have it right, Um, especially when they found... Some manuscripts were located later that talk about what happened in Egypt and and the similarities there. So, right, right. That was my understanding: is that people in past decades have perhaps cast some doubt on this, but more recently, some of the textual evidence was suggesting that Luke had it right after all. Yeah, he did. And so Jesus was born. It's kind of funny the way we do this, but six or seven years before he was born, mm-hmm. <laughs> BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, just someone got the dating wrong along the way, and that's fine. Um, Luke does nail down the time when John starts his ministry, 
but we don't have such necessarily a concern about the date here as to when he was born. He was born. When he starts his ministry, Luke nails down the date. Jesus is born. Uh, the the historical evidence that Luke gave um, as time goes on just does come off as being accurate and fine. Right, right. And that's one of the things we have Luke to thank for, right? He was um, a physician by trade. Yep. And so it includes some of these details that the other gospel writers didn't help yeah. us kind of situate this in the rest of human history. Yeah, he sort of takes... Um, a very well, a very logical, maybe call it a scientific approach, mm-hmm. uh, at least a good journalist approach. He mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. does some research, right? And we'll we'll talk a bit about where he might have gotten some of these uh, sources from a bit later. Yes, we will. Um, but before that, if if we go to the end of this section, uh, there's been a lot of discussion around Christmas time uh, regarding the nature of the inn in oh, uh, verse right. seven. Right. So people have different conceptions of what this looked like. I think like the typical Christmas pageant type understanding is like they were trying to get into a hotel and there wasn't any room. And so they go out to the barn, you know, in the back and have uh, the baby there. But could you perhaps give us some cultural perspective? Yeah. It, that's what this they might didn't, be referring to. Oddly enough, they didn't have any holiday inns back then. <laughs> They, they should have uh, appropriately named, but so there weren't like the inn here in in this case isn't necessarily like a public house or a public inn. It could have been more like um, the buildings were built like in a quad or a square, and it's highly possible that they were trying to find place with one of Joseph's relatives. Mm. Well, okay, if all of Joseph's relatives are coming back for the census, it's crowded. Right. So there's simply no place for them to stay in that available room. And and they probably end up going where the animals were kept. Some people think about the possibility of it being a, like a cave-like structure. Others think that they were maybe on the outside of, of this quad in maybe a lean-to shed. Hmm. Uh, but but a place where animals were because there was a, a feeding trough there. And that's that's what the manger is. It's a, it's a feeding trough. Right. So, so not very classy. Um, not very sterile and, um, it's just, you know, it's Jesus comes in this world, um, and Mary and Joseph are normal people. God gets them to this place. God takes care of them, not necessarily in the way that we think he should, but this Mm -hmm. goes in line with Jesus never does things. Well, he really rarely does things the way we think he should. Right. And he doesn't make a big show of himself, and he's very humble, and even his birth is very humble, mm-hmm. very humble. Right. This goes back to what we were talking about last week, about these different expectations that people had for the Messiah compared to what actually played out and some of the confusion that that brought into the the Jewish uh, religious community, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, very good. Well, I think that's helpful. And so uh, let's transition to the last section of our narrative for tonight, which is the shepherds. Okay, so we'll look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, 
I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Very good. So a few things to note here. Uh, First and foremost, it's very interesting that shepherds would be the first people to hear about Christ's birth um, before just about anybody else. Yes, they again not the way we would do things. Mm-hmm. We would go. We would we would look for the the influential people, maybe the 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 mayor of the town or something like that. Right. But no, we we hear these we hear about these shepherds being summoned by angels, and right. shepherds were, you know, they handled animals. They they weren't high society people. They were they were working folk. Right. Normal people. Yeah, exactly. Normal people. So uh, like when you look at a nativity scene or like go to a a Christmas pageant, you'll commonly see the wise men or the magi alongside the shepherds. But uh, we got to keep in mind that they didn't come till much later. Right. Right. And um, because I think that's more in line of what you might expect as far as the first people to visit Jesus. The kings or people of influence would be the first ones to know. And they bring these lavish gifts, but um, they didn't find out till much later. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, uh, around Epiphany time. Yeah, that's that's a good Epiphany um, topic. Uh, but yeah, and I, maybe that's why people Im- imported them into the the manger scene because they are a little higher class than the, than the shepherds. <laughs> right, right. Okay. And so, um, of course, this is all speculation, but we we can talk about the possible reasons why the shepherds might've been the first to know uh, this good news. Uh, Maybe there's a couple of reasons. One, they're out at night. They would, they would often stay awake at night to watch over their flock. They were probably, I don't know, how do you say it? Some people know they have a need. We all have a need. Mm -hmm. We all need God. We all need forgiveness. We all, we all are beggars before the cross looking for his wonderful gifts. Sadly, there are many people who don't understand that need. Mm-hmm. And shepherds, they're normal people, and they probably understood that they had needs that only God could satisfy. Mm. Mm. Not to yeah. say that not to say that you, know, you don't want to paint too much a picture or say, well, you have to be poor to be a Christian. I'm not saying that. But these are just these are normal earthy people, right? And the Creator, through His angels, gives them this wonderful message, right? Right. So, in other words, uh, what you're saying, um, they might have been more receptive to the message than 
a lot of other people. It's good. That's basically and, what I was trying to say. It just took me too long. <laughs> no, that's good. And also, uh, perhaps there's some symbolism in there as well, right? Um, we commonly refer to not only pastors, but Jesus as, uh, you know, the good shepherd. And uh, a lot of that sort of symbolism uh, is in the New Testament with Jesus being the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. We have these themes running throughout the New Testament, right? And and a lot of the parables are agrarian, they're mm-hmm. farm-based. So it is rather interesting. Jesus is the, the great shepherd, and he's also the lamb. Mm-hmm. And he does use the, you know, the parable of the lost sheep and things like that. The whole idea of the care provided by the shepherd, the whole idea that the sheep are vulnerable, all these things, they, they're, they're important themes for us to remember as we consider the good shepherd who is the lamb. Right. That may right. be part of it. And that is a bit of speculation, but it also kind of drives the point home. Mm-hmm. Jesus comes to shepherds, to normal people, and, and well, the father through angels tells them to go look and see the baby Jesus. Indeed. Indeed. And what would we do for Christmas pageants if we didn't have the shepherds? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. We need that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and they don't engage in some debate. They hear the angels and they respond in faith and, and go see the baby Jesus. Right. Yeah. And, and perhaps that's a good picture of the sort of simple kind of faith that we need and is desirable. We all need that. Indeed. Okay. So one other thing I wanted to talk about at the end of this section uh, where it said, Mary took all these things and pondered them in her heart. So, uh, right. Verse 19. Verse 19. So we had talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, Luke being sort of like an investigative journalist and like compiling these sources. I heard an interesting theory for the first time uh, just a few days ago. Someone was advocating that perhaps uh, Mary herself provided uh, part of this narrative to Luke for him to record, uh, in part because of verse 19. Um, this is one of my one of my friends, uh, Adrian, if, if he's listening. Uh, he uh, he gave the argument that this is a very personal detail, right? This isn't something that you would just get from a empirical observation of whatever was going on at the time. This seemed to require some sort of inside information into what Mary was actually thinking. And so um, he was arguing that perhaps uh, Mary supplied some of the information to put into Luke's narrative. Okay, it's my turn to say something quickly that you were saying in a long way. Okay, very good. How did Luke know that she was pondering them in her heart? Right? He asked that, her, right? That's, he asked her. That, that's the simplest. And so often we have to take the simplest approach to things, the, that the simplest explanation is usually the right one. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we believe the Bible's inspired. Yes. But we also know that God uses people. He uses their language. He uses their skills. He uses their minds to pen down scripture. Right. So when he writes, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, it's likely, very likely that he spoke to her about it. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And she reminisced and talked about Joseph and relayed to him Joseph's story and what happened and, and all these things. That So, yeah, it just makes sense that he spoke with her. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's something I had not thought about before. And 
if you go back and read parts of the narrative with that idea in mind, it, it kind of gives the text a new flavor and a new meaning. At least it makes it more personal in some personal. sense. That's the word it's, I was looking for. Yeah. Especially uh, like if you go back to like the uh, Magnificat, um, you know, Mary's kind of hymn of Thanksgiving for these yeah. things. Um, the fact that she might've supplied this information to be included in the gospels. It's, it's pretty amazing. It is. It's neat. And it does make it more personal. And that's pretty much thing about here's, here's a, a pregnant woman and starting a marriage and has to go on this journey and what happened and the shepherds came and all that. It would have been neat to be able to hear her recount that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, certainly. Okay. All right. Very good. I know we're running out of time here. We have two more readings. And so, um, Pastor, if you don't mind, uh, let's do the John Chrysostom reading first, because uh, I think the other one is a good one to end on. Okay, I will uh, take that Bible off the screen, and and we'll listen to you. Will, thank you. Perfect. Uh, so this is uh, from John Chrysostom, reading for December 29th in uh, Remus. I behold a new and wondrous mystery. My ears resound to the shepherd's song, piping no soft melody, but chanting full forth a heavenly hymn. The angels sing, the archangels bend their voices uh, in harmony. The cherubim hymn their joyful praise. The seraphim exalt his glory. All join in praise this holy feast, beholding the Godhead here on earth and man in heaven. He who is above now dwells here below for our redemption. And he that was lowly is by divine mercy raised. Bethlehem this day resembles heaven, hearing from the stars the singing of angelic voices, and in place of the sun enfolds within itself on every side the sun of justice. And don't ask how, for where God wills, the order of nature yields. For he willed, he had the power, he descended, he redeemed. All things move in obedience to God. This day he who was is born, and he who is becomes what he was not. For when he was God, he became man, yet not departing from the Godhead that is, that is his, nor yet by any loss of divinity did he become man, nor through the increased did he become God from man. But being the word, he became flesh, his nature, because of impassibility remaining unchanged." Yeah, well phrased to focus on the fact that, you know, he doesn't become less God. And it's not that God became man, but God took on flesh and became a man. Right. Doesn't diminish his godhood, but elevates humanity into his godhood. But he's still exactly. true man, true God. Exactly. And it's also not like he started off as a man and somehow became God through something that he did. Yeah, no. Uh, that's one of the benefits of some of these early Christian writers who had a big focus on the nature of Christ, something we don't focus on as much in our day. But of course, you had all these controversies during their time. And so you have these really good, profound Christological teachings and some of these sermons from the early church fathers. Right. Out of which grew our creeds, the Apostles' exactly. Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. These grew out of controversies. And so to answer those questions, the Christian people got together and said, no, this is what we as Christian people believe, and and hence the creeds. Right? Right, right. exactly. Good. And that's why they're Trinitarian and why, you know, they, they especially the Athanasian Creed, deals so much with um, the, the, the aspects of Jesus being both God and man. 
to mm-hmm. answer the questions that had arisen. Exactly. And Christmas time, though it might not seem like it, is a natural time to talk about some of these controversies and some of these bigger Christological issues yeah. because you know that is when God became man. Yeah. And you, and you have uh, all these different things to think about. Yeah, it's almost, I guess at some level, maybe it's just too good to believe. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep, that's a good way of putting it. We have one more reading we wanted to close with tonight. And okay. that's from uh, Leo I of Rome. And this is the reading for uh, Christmas Day in Eremus. Our Savior, dearly beloved, was born this day. Let us rejoice. Sadness is not proper on the birthday of life itself. Life, by having dispelled the fear of death, fills us with gladness because of our own promised immortality. No one is excluded from sharing in this cheerfulness. The reason for our joy is common to all men. Our Lord, the conqueror of sin and death, finding no one free from guilt, came that he might bring deliverance to all. Let saints exalt, for the palm of victory lies within their reach. Let sinners rejoice, for they have been called to pardon. Let the heathens take heart, for they have been called to life. The Son of God, in the fullness of time, as the unsearchable depths of divine wisdom has ordained, has taken upon himself our nature, so that the inventor of death, the devil, would be himself overcome through the very nature which he had overcome. A little confusing there at the end, but yeah, the devil's beaten beaten by a man. (laughs) So God in the flesh defeats the devil, and the devil had worked on Adam and Eve on people, and now it's a person the God man who beats the devil, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Death is something that the devil, you know, introduced. And um, now uh, he gets a taste of that same death uh, because Christ wins the victory. Wins the victory. Yep. The wages of sin is death. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world. And now we see life entering the world as we celebrate the birth of the word of God. Jesus, who brings life and liberty to all, for all people. Looking at that that thing about that verse, um, that uh, you know, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's it's for the earth. It's for all people. Uh, we could have spent a lot of time on that verse alone. Um, I know, and and talked about that, but we have to bear in mind that when John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." That's, that's our bread and butter. It's where we hang our hat. That's our hope. That's our salvation. He takes away the sins of the world. He is the savior of the world. Indeed. And, okay. you know, we commonly will sing joy to the world during this time. And uh, that's one thing that this specific reading captures very well, the kind of the universality of this joy, because, um, you know, everyone has something to celebrate, right? It's that the heathen has the, the hope of life and yeah. uh, sinners have pardon. Uh, it's truly a joy for everyone in that way. It is. He, he is the light of the world. Now, the way we look at this to be a little theological, yes, Jesus has paid the price for the sins of all people of all time. We call that objective justification. Mm-hmm. And when we personally come to faith in Jesus and receive those gifts, we call that personal or subjective justification. Mm-hmm. But it, that that justification has to exist before we can believe in it. Right. It has to be objective. It has to be real. It has to be for everybody. 
Otherwise, how could we trust in something that may or may not be for us? Right. You can't. So the objective right. justification, this objective reality, that's the thing in which we trust. So peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Yeah. Peace on the whole earth, goodwill towards men. Yes. All people. The gift is for all. That's the message the church is to send out into the world. The way the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Indeed. Okay. Indeed. Shall I close with prayer? I think that's it. If you want to wrap us up with a, with a prayer for today, that'd be great. Thank you, Will. Sure. Grant, we pray you, Almighty God, that the new birth of your only begotten Son in the flesh may set us free, who are held under the old bondage, under the yoke of sin, through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.